welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Thanks for joining us in our Great Communicator series, where we're talking with some of the top church leaders about how to be effective preachers and teachers. We're almost done with the series. Our final episode with Priscilla Shire will release after the new year, so be sure to keep an eye out for that. But this week, we're hearing from Dr. Sam Chan. Sam is a public evangelist with City Bible Forum in Sydney, Australia, where he regularly shares the gospel with high school students, city workers, doctors, and lawyers. He speaks at conferences all around the world on topics of ethics, storytelling, apologetics, and the practice of evangelism in a post-Christian culture. Sam is also the author of several books, including Preaching as the Word of God and Topical Preaching in a Complex World, How to Proclaim Truth and Relevance at the Same Time. But before we hear from Sam, we want to remind you that if you're enjoying our interviews, it would help us if you left us a review. Now, let's go to Ed Stetzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the Executive Director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Okay, great. We're so excited to be in this conversation with uh, Sam Chanis. We've been going through this this series, this Great Communicator series. And Sam, you're not – most of the people we've like had on, like just before you, is Max, Max Lucado. And he hasn't written a book on preaching uh, but I mean, we we had him talk about storytelling. Obviously, he's one of the most amazing communicators in the world. Uh, but you've actually written on the topic, which and you're also a dynamic communicator. We had you uh, speak at the Amplify Conference. Uh, you and I will be together in Australia at the Katoomba Convention, uh, Easter Convention. We're excited about that. But you wrote a book called Topical Preaching in a Complex World, How to Proclaim Truth and Relevance at the same time. So um, you and I come from uh, traditions that are more expository. We work through books of the Bible, things of that sort. Not everyone who listens does. Uh, but tell me why you wrote on topical preaching. And then I got a 500 questions about how to prepare and those kinds of things. Go ahead. Oh, sure. So this book really is a product of a 10-year journey from for me. For about 10 years ago, I was known as a gifted speaker, being invited to speak at a lot of churches, a lot of conferences. But then there was one night where a bunch of Christians had organized an event for singles, single Christians, and they had organized an end-of-year dinner, and they wanted me to speak at the dinner. And they said to me, we don't want you to go through a Bible passage. We don't want you to talk about Christian singleness per se, but we just want you to address the topic of singleness and what that means for a Christian. And I actually had no idea how to do it. And then so what I did was I did a, a bad workaround where I pulled out an old expository talk and just changed the beginning and the ending. <laughs> and the looks on the faces of the audience, they could not have been any more unimpressed at my workaround. So I went home and I vowed never to do that again and to find out just how to do topical preaching and how to do it well. And I'm also in a context where I get asked to speak in a variety of interesting situations like high school chapel services, or I might be the lunchtime speaker in a ski lodge for high school ski camps, or I might have to speak to lawyers. I might have to speak to actuaries. I love speaking to actuaries because I would say you don't have to be that interesting. The bar is very low, <laughs> but I have to speak in a variety of non-Christian, non-church settings where more often than not they do want me to speak 
on a topic. So I thought, you know what? I do have to get good at this. I can't just front up with my normal Sunday church sermon. I have to give them something that addresses them where they are and who they are. Yeah. And of course, what a lot of people listening would say, we'll do that every Sunday. So, so, but again, in some traditions, uh, like I was the interim pastor at Moody Church, we preach through books of the Bible pretty regularly. But I mean, you'd still Mother's Day, Christmas. Uh, I, I wrote a, a an article for the Gospel Coalition in the, and you can find it in the show notes. It's called "How Do You Preach One Time Sermon." So I just wrote an article on what you wrote a book about, and so, but I think it's important because um, you know you want to be faithful to the text. You want to not just have, here's five things I thought about and could find in psychology today with scriptural footnotes taken out of context to support them. So how do you make sure that you're preaching a one, uh, you know, topical message or maybe a topical series and staying faithful to the what the Bible teaches about that topic or that theme? It's what we all do intuitively anyway. If you think about it, when we go to Bible college or when we go to seminary, they give us two subjects side by side. They give us exegesis where we learn how to exegete the meaning of the Bible's text. But at the same time, we do theology, where we're taught to think in terms of topics. We're taught to think in terms of ideas and concepts. So we're always juggling this balance between meaning and significance. And we do this anyway when we do so-called expository talks, because even for the most high-end expository talk, they still ask us to give them a title. So the instant we have to go title, we've gone topical. And usually we try to begin with an introduction where we begin in the world of the audience. Then we take them to the text of the Bible. And then we end with the conclusion and application. So again, we're going topical because we're preaching significance. So it's a famous distinction between meaning and significance. So if the weather person says today it's going to be sunny, no clouds, 85 Fahrenheit, it will have a different significance for different audiences. For the farmer, it might mean, well, I'm going to have to water my crops. For the couple getting married, it will mean I can do the outdoor wedding. We don't have to have wet weather plans. For the painter, it means I can paint the deck today. It's not going to rain. So same meaning, but different significances. And that's what we're doing as gifted preachers anyway, we always know the meaning of the Bible, but we're always thinking, okay, what is the significance for the different audience that I'm speaking to? John the Baptist, very interestingly, and I learned this from Graham Cole, my systematic theology advisor, he said John the Baptist, when he was asked by the three different crowds, had three different applications for them, whether they were the tax collectors, the soldiers, or the crowds. So he was going significance, he was going topical at that moment. Interesting. Okay. So um, how do you prepare? You're, you're thinking theologically, culturally, and pastorally are things you talked about in the book. So unpack that for us. How how do you consider theological, uh, cultural, and pastoral issues in your preparation for that topical message? Yeah, I, I, I say, and this happens to me a lot because people will say, people who are more gifted cultural exegetes than me, you can read the air, they say, hey, we want you to give us a topic on disruption because we feel like our workers are feeling threatened by disruption or someone might say hey we want you to give us a talk on anxiety because we feel like that's a big issue for our high school students today or we might want you to give you us a talk on well-being because that's a buzzword in the workplace and I suddenly think I know nothing about disruption anxiety or well-being I'm not an expert on this how can I begin? And I guess it's the same thing that happens to us as expository preachers. Someone might say, hey, preach a series on Deuteronomy. And you think, 
I didn't study Deuteronomy in seminary. I studied Isaiah and Ezekiel, but not Deuteronomy. So that moment we're forced to be an expert in something that we're not an expert in. And here I say we try to wear the hat of of a, a New York Times columnist. So you, when you read the New York Times, they have two sorts of different opinion writers. They have the op-ed writers where they invite specialists in their field to write on something they know a lot about and they've demonstrated their expertise because maybe they've done a PhD on it in the past, they've written a talk, uh, they've written a book or they've given a TED talk on it. But then you have these other people called columnists like your David Brooks, your Nicholas Walterstor, um I forget his last name, starts with W. And, and then they're suddenly asked every week to write on a topic they're not experts on. And that's what we've become. We've, we've become generalists. We have to speak or address a topic that we're not experts on. And here's where I quickly survey the field. I quickly see, okay, what do gifted Christian writers or speakers, what have they said about, say, well-being? Then I survey the, the secular, the non-Christian audience and see what they've written about well-being. So I might scan national public radio, their archives. I might scan TED Talks and look at their archives. And then from there, I pull together a general field of knowledge and think, okay, how can a Christian address this? What would God want me to say? And I actually say in my book, this is actually what topical preaching is all about. It's me saying what would God want me to say about this topic, which is what's so frightening about topical preaching, but what's so exciting and challenging about it as well. And really, we're doing what exegetes do normally anyway, because we're trying to say, what is Paul saying in Romans? Or what is John saying in John? And now we're playing the role of a theologian. What would God want me to say about this topic? Okay, so uh, you and of course wrote this book. It's called Topical Preaching in a Complex World. You wrote it with Malcolm Gill, and I had the privilege of writing the forward to it. So just full disclosure for people who are watching, I really liked it, found it helpful. Um, so so then if you've got this knowledge about well-being, let's keep going down the well-being path since obviously you did something on well-being. So you gather this knowledge about it. Now, sometimes people sort of do – uh, I say one of two things, maybe very broadly speaking. In one case, it's almost like a, Spurgeon is known for this. Spurgeon would have a topic, and then he'd go get a text, and he basically preached through one text on that topic. So if it was anxiety, he'd go to Philippians 4, you know, 6 and following. Uh, or others might do a um, where they say, okay, here's the theme, and then I'm going to seek out what are some biblical truths. I might draw four or five or two or three passages from that, and I say, you know, here's well-being, here are three things from the Bible that might address that. Or if you're speaking in a secular environment, it might be, you have to be a little more subtle than that. So take me down the road. How do you do that? Is it is it a text that ties into the topic or is it multiple text or is it, you know, one text? Help us keep going down. And I know it might be different, but go down the well-being path because I'm interested to see where you ended up with that. Sure. So there's more than one way to paint a sunset and there's more than one way to preach the same topic. So for me, it just depends on what works best for my audience. And again, most of my audience is quite unchurched. They're not very biblically literate. So if I razzle-dazzle them with too many passages, that's going to be confusing. So I try to stick to just a small handful of passages, two to three maybe at the most. So what I usually do with a topic like well-being, where even I was not an expert, I have to begin with an agreed upon definition. Like, do we agree on what the topic actually is? So usually, because again, my audience is usually secular, I begin with their writers. It's you, it's the same approach that Paul did in Acts 17. 
where he quoted their authors before he quoted his own authors. So I try to quote their authors first before quote my authors. So I say, hey, this is what your TED Talkers are saying about well-being. This is what they're saying in the New York Times about well-being. This is what they're saying on NPR about well-being. So we have an established definition. Then with a topic, I usually try to work with the topic rather than against the topic. So we see the same variety in, in the Bible. Jesus, when he works with the, the woman at the well, he's actually working with her. Hey, you've come for water. That's a good thing, but you're lacking one thing. So what I try to do is I work with a topic. I show how well-being is a good thing. You know, who wouldn't want well-being? And again, I quote some authors to show how we can find well-being. But then I show how well-being by itself is not enough. So I don't make fun of them by looking for well-being, like how dare you look for well-being? You know, what do you think? You've made it, you know, this or that. It can never be. Instead, I work with them. Who of us doesn't want well-being? But there's one thing we still lack. So it's like Paul's approach in Acts 17, where he sees all the idols. And at that moment, he could have been like Jesus in the temple with a whip, just clearing out all the idols. Like, how dare you worship idols? You've broken the first commandment, the second commandment. You've broken all the commandments. Instead, he worked with them. He said, oh, look, you have a lot of idols. You are very religious. You even have one set up to an unknown God. So he worked with them. But here's the thing, you don't know the name of this God, so let me tell you the name of this God. So with well-being, say, wow, you are looking for well-being. Who of us wouldn't want well-being? But there's one thing we still lack. And in this moment, I can work two ways. I can say, you know, you've looked after the physical side, you've looked after the emotional side, but you've lacked the spiritual side. So I could go with them in that way. Or the other way would be the problem with well-being is it's giving us a lot of good rules to follow, but we can never follow rules. Rules by themselves will break us. They become legalistic and it becomes dry and duty and bound. And we create a culture of perfectionism and we will burn out. Instead, what we need is we need grace. We need a God who's kind to us. And he, if he's kind to us, we too be, can be kind to ourselves. So guess what I do is I go through what I describe in the book, a three-stage sequence where I resonate, but then I dissonate, then I fulfill with the gospel. So I resonate with a topic. I get them nodding their heads going, yep, 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 that is me, that is me, you got me. But then I move to a moment where I dissonate, where I show them there's a deficiency or dissonance in what they're looking for. And then I fulfill that empty space with the gospel. Okay, so so unpack a little more, though, because um, you went to uh, Acts 17, which, of course, as a missiologist, that's where I want to spend all my life. Um, but you also gave this an example of topical preaching, but it's also kind of evangelistic preaching. It's kind of you know building that bridge as well. Do you do that differently? Uh, let me ask this way. What's the difference between topical preaching and evangelistic preaching? How do they overlap, and when do they differ? Yeah, for me... It always overlaps. It's a bit yeah. like um, I remember Tim Kelly. Tim Keller set up this dichotomy. He said, oh, "We only preach to believers. We edify them, but we lose the non-believers because they don't know what we're talking about. But if we only preach to the non-believers, like so-called evangelistic preaching, uh, the believers feel patronized. Like I've heard this all before." So Timothy Keller talked about, "Well, what we need to do is preach evangelistic worship." where we preach edification to the believers, but we show how it's all gospel-based. So the basis of all 
our ethics as Christians is actually the gospel. So when we appeal to Christians to be generous, we say, well, Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, became poor for our sake, uh, gave himself up. So we too can be generous. So the non-believer will hear, oh, Christians are generous, not because they're religious or duty bound, but because of the gospel. Or when we preach faithful faithfulness in marriage, we say, well, Jesus Christ himself was faithful to the church. That's why husbands need to be faithful. We go, oh, there's a gospel basis to everything. So what I do with my topical preaching, whether it's to believers or non-believers, I always show how there's a gospel fulfillment for what we're looking for in that topic. Because behind every topic is a question. Behind every topic is an issue. And behind every issue is a God-given existential cry where we're actually looking for eternity. And I show how the gospel can fulfill whatever it is that you're looking for in this topic. So I keep coming back to that clarity of the gospel. So so then um, let's say that you're doing a topical sermon uh, at a church, you're, you're a guest speaker. Now you, it's kind of hard to describe people. Maybe you should though. Describe people a little bit what you do there in Australia, why you're speaking to all these these non-church audiences. Do that first. Yeah, first of all, I work for an organization called City Bible Forum, and it's like campus ministry. So with campus ministry, you turn up and you minister to both believers on campus and you're trying to evangelize non-believers on the campus at the same time. So with City Bible Forum, instead of the campus, it's the workplaces in Australia. And instead of college students, we're ministering to workers in the workplaces. So we're trying to edify believers, but at the same time, we're equipping them to reach out to their non-believers. So often I get invited to be a public speaker at events that Christian workers have put put on. And it could be lawyers who've done it. It could be bankers who've done it. It could be doctors who've done it. And at the same time, word has got out that, you know, hey, these talks work really well with high school students as well. So I've become a high school speaker oh, as well. Gosh. So that's why I'm, I'm in these variety of contexts. I, high school students frighten me to speak in front of them. They, one are, they I, are the scariest audience oh, ever. Oh, gosh, that's, that's so crazy. How do you keep but them I always awake? Joke, when you preach to high school students, you see the tops of a thousand heads because they don't, want to, <laughs> they don't want to look at you. And you say, you give them your funniest joke and they want to laugh where they turn and they see the person next to them is not laughing, so they're not going to laugh either. But I always say be encouraged. They look like they're not listening, but they are, whereas adult audiences are the opposite. You see a thousand faces blankly looking at you. They look like they're listening, but they're not listening. They're highly trained to look like they're listening to you. That's actually, wow, that that may be the greatest phrase. I, I, you know, I've, I've got students who recently were in high school. My kids are recently in high school. So speaking at some of their convocations, oof, it was a little much. Okay. So, so you're speaking in these kinds of settings and sometimes you probably have to dial it back more. Uh, in other words, they, they might've said, listen, this, this audience just barely introduced the topic of faith or Christianity. Sometimes you're introducing it much more aggressively and you, you do give different examples uh, in the book as well. So I want you to come to a church setting. So in a church setting, you're, you're speaking at so-and-so church, they ask you to speak on this topic. Um, how do you build out a message? Because most of the church leaders here are going to be not speaking to business settings, though though some might, but they'd be talking to church settings and they want to be effective in doing a topical message in that church setting. What advice would you give? What And how might that be different from what you just described? Yeah, so I set up in the introduction, first of all, something that makes this topic highly relevant. So Again, I I say all I do is I preach a topic, 
that is boring. If I get up in front of you and say, today I'm going to speak about purpose, I've lost you. Oh, I'm going to speak about identity. That's why I'm going to speak about New Zealand. So that's a boring topic. So i got to realize, okay, behind every topic is an issue that's begging to be addressed. So with New Zealand, you know, you'd have to say, why is New Zealand so good at rugby? They only have like 2 million people. They have more sheep than people on that island. Why are they so good at rugby? With identity, then I show them something like, well, who are we? Like if I'm just one of 8 billion people in this world, and it's worse when you're Asian like me because you're not just one of 8 billion, but you're one of a billion people who look just like you and they all have the same surname as you. So if, you know, if, if I'm just one of 8 billion people, if I'm just a blip in the timeline of the planet, if I didn't have to be here and I won't be here in a few decades, like really who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is my identity? And this is a question that haunts us for the rest of our life. So I set up the issue so they realize, okay, there's a question here that's begging to be addressed. And if it's a highly church setting, it's all about setting expectations. I say, well, g'day, my name is Sam Chan. Thanks for inviting me here. Your pastor has asked me to speak on this topic. So that gives me the warrant and permission now to speak on this topic. And to answer this topic, I'm going to do something a little unusual today. Instead of only sticking to exegesis or expository preaching, I'm going to look at me, I'm going to look at significance, I'm going to use the tools of theology, and I'm going to look at a topic. So so then I've shown them how my method is going to be a little bit different, but I give it permission because, hey, we do theology in seminary, so I'm just going to do a bit more theology today than exegesis. Then I think the first thing I do, again, it's that resonance, dissonance, gospel fulfillment. I show them why this is a problem, getting nodding, get them nodding their heads. They go, yeah, you're right, you're right identity who am i i thought i knew who i was but i actually right. don't know who right. i am anymore and then and then well resonate show them why it's important uh, it's important dissonate to show them how maybe they don't have all the answers they thought they did and then show them how we need jesus more than ever before to address the the issue of identity resonate dissonate fulfill that's right fulfill the gospel yeah, okay. A teacher so, taught me the analogy. They said, one time I remember a teacher said, Sam, 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 you preach to us. You're trying to give us water when in our heads we're all out of a full glass of water. So apparently teachers learn this analogy that you can't just go up to someone and say, hey, I'm going to give this to you because they're not interested. They feel like they already have all they need. So you have to show them a full glass of water. Look, you have a full glass of water. They have to empty it in front of their eyes and look, oh, look, your glass is empty. Now let me fill it with my water. So resonate, you have a full glass of water, dissonate, empty their glass of water, and now show them, hey, I can give you better water than what you have right now. Okay, so what would, because you kind of explained a little bit what a kind of in a, I don't know, the word secular means different things to different people, but more of in a secular environment, how you did this research on this topic, you were talking about well-being, you eventually led to the 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 dissonance of, you know, there's more to it than that, and that's where you brought in the gospel. So, but in a church setting, you're not going to be, doing that the same way. What might an outline look like uh, on a topic? Someone asks you to speak on anxiety. Someone asks you to speak on prayer. Someone asks you to speak on whatever. What might an outline look like when you're going to bring that message at a church? Yeah, so let's take anxiety. I remember at a church I used the Mary and Martha story where I showed this is where we can learn how can we find freedom from anxiety where well, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus has a meal with two sisters, Mary and Martha, 
And we can learn a lot about anxiety from looking at these sisters. And so I show how Martha, I always get them mixed up. So who's the anxious one? Is it Mary or Martha? Who's the one doing all the running around? It's Martha, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, that's right. So Martha is the anxious one because she's created a culture of perfectionism. She wants to get it just right for Jesus. Uh, Mary is the non-anxious one because she's just in the moment. She's chilled. She's listening to Jesus. And I show, well, what can we learn from this? Like how have we created a culture of anxiety and perfectionism? How can we be more in the moment? And then I show how even in the secular audiences, They've created all these things that help us manage anxiety, like thankfulness, outdoors, exercise, sleep, rest, prayer, forgiveness. And I show how at at a general level, these things all make sense, but they only make sense if the God of the Bible is true. So I affirm again to Christians that we have something special, special revelation, something more special than what general revelation can give us. So, for example, rest only makes sense if there's a God behind this universe who also rested. Generosity only makes sense if there's a generous giving God behind this universe. Forgiveness only makes sense if there's a God who forgives us. And, of course, thankfulness only makes sense if there's someone to thank a loving uh, God behind the universe. Now, this moment, Christians might push back and go, I never would have thought of Mary Martha as a text on anxiety. Isn't it more about how Jesus is the Messiah and we need to recognize him for who he is and how his words are more important than anything else going on in our life? And I say this is the difference between moving inductively versus moving deductively. So with expository preaching, we move inductively. So with the text, we have data. And from there, we go inductively and we try to abstract a general universal principle, which we can now preach to the audience. So from the Mary Martha passage, you can go inductively and say, hey, this shows how important Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's a king and his words matter. But we can also go deductively. And this way you begin with a general principle, like a topic, anxiety, and you can go deductively and say, hey, but he's an example of what I'm talking about in the Bible. So using these passages as examples of what we're talking about. Okay. So when you uh, do that though, help me to think what, what you're, what you're bringing up there. Is there like an outline and you're like, you know, let's look at Martha. Let's look at Mary. Is it, here are three things about anxiety. What, what, what does your outline look like? And what are you walking people through? Or is it just a, you know, one point message with story and, you know, we heard Max Cato talk about how he does that. What, what does it look like? Give us the, the skeletal structure. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm a three-point person. You know, people always just, make fun just of Just like points. Jesus and all of his disciples were. So three points. Okay. So you have three points. Do you – well, tell, tell me about them. What do they, they sound like? What do they look like? Yeah, so point one would be, yes, we, we, we are anxious. Uh, so, so, yes, we are anxious. Uh, two, point two could be reasons why we're anxious. And point three could be how we can find freedom from anxiety. could be as simple as that. Okay. Okay. So then, then the freedom from anxiety is going to be some of the application part or, or how does that, how does, where where does the application part come in? Where am I going to be exhorted to live differently? Yeah. So I I show them, I think what I did was in the first part, I, I said, okay, these are the reasons why we're anxious. We're, we're maxed out. We can't squeeze anything more into our day. We've created a culture of perfectionism. These are some of the reasons why we're more anxious than ever before. 
so, and I explain why, like, and, and then, then I show them, here are some managing principles for how we can find freedom from anxiety. So the usual things, you know, thankfulness, uh, being in the moment, sleep, rest, outdoors, exercise, forgiveness. But then I show them how all of these things are fulfilled in Jesus. Like we can have these things to a shallow level, but they only make sense if there's a Jesus in our life. And that's how we can be thankful. That's how we can enjoy rest. That's how we can enjoy forgiveness. Like, so without without saying, because uh, I know you're very passionate about expository preaching, even when you were describing your introduction, when you did a topical sermon, you're almost like, your pastor made me do this. And I heard that part of it, right? You're like, you kind of did that introduction. So how does the topical preacher uh, avoid kind of getting on a hobby horse? You know, here are five things I think are important. And how, how do we stay faithful to uh, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to the biblical text and more? Help us with that. Yes, that's right. So how how do we not bring in too much of our hobby horses what excites us? How can yeah. we stay close to the text? And I would say it's exactly the same challenge that happens in expository preaching okay. anyway. So if someone just gives me any text like that, that I'm easily going to launch into a hobby horse anyway. So it's something, it's a danger that exists equally both for expository and topical preaching. So once again, it's I I myself have to stay close to the text. I got okay. to make sure once a year, I'm reading through the whole Bible for myself. Right. So I love to do that every second year for me. I read through the whole Bible. So therefore, I don't have skewed interpretation of one book. I see it all in the canon. I, I myself make sure I go to church myself as a worshiper, as a listener, as a disciple to be taught by my pastor. And I have to sit there listening to learn, not listening to critique. I myself have to make sure I stay in a community of interpreters, so I hear how other people are interpreting these passages. I, like I think just staying close, and I myself, and here's a, the, the extra one, find myself an international community of interpreters. Because mm. sometimes just in our own nation, our own bubble, we have skewed readings and of, of not just text but skewed readings of topics. So it's interesting how, you know, someone in the U.K., might address a topic very differently from someone in the USA. Might no, you just you just need to you just topic. need to point out that USA, we can we've got some challenges that that maybe we're not seeing something clearly. Just say that. That's what I'm thinking. You're saying just say that. But by listening was, to global global voices, I like it. Well, fascinating. Like this will get me cancelled. This will get me cancelled. But I'll, I'll I'll flick this out to Christianity Today. Christianity Today just put out the a piece on how the international Christian world views gun control. Yeah. And it showed how U.S. Christians have a particular view on gun control, whereas other countries have very different views on yeah. gun control. I'm, I'm sure you could pick any topic. You could yeah. even pick, you know, seatbelts you know, or motorcycles, and you'll have very different views. No, but that's interesting, though. But I, I like the idea of listening and learning widely, being in a community that engages the word and more. So yeah, I would say I don't really know like if there's number. My experience has been is that most people that I know who are teaching and preaching regularly are more topical than they are uh, expository. Um, you know, in the streams where you and I would go, I think it's like this thing we're doing at Katumba. You know, they asked me to preach through. I think I'm preaching through Psalms. Uh, you know, each 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 day. Um, and I think you're actually doing some topical stuff. So so, but but you know, that's tradition that we're more familiar with. Um, what when when people read the book, you know, again, just to remind everybody, the book is called Topical Preaching in a Complex World. Sam Chan 
and Malcolm Gill, uh, when they when they when they read this, one of the things that you keep reminding people to do is to trace the topic back to Christ. We Spurgeon's famous words, he takes a beeline to the cross. So in every topical message, I could teach or preach in such a way that I mean I could teach and preach Proverbs and and I might preach and teach no differently than maybe a, a Jewish rabbi. Uh, because I mean, a Jewish rabbi can can ex- exhort and can can exegete that text as well. What uniquely Christian pointing to Christ approach do you think we should take in topical preaching? I know we can do an expository preaching too, but talk to me about topical preaching because that's what you drew the rest in the book. Oh, yes, that's right. There's so many different ways we can trace a topic to Christ. It's almost like when you preach an Old Testament text, how am I going to get from this text to Christ? And there's more than one way. There's a variety of ways. And I think in one of my final chapters, I even talk about eight different ways we can take a topic to Christ from as implicit as, you know, it, the context would take us to Christ to as explicit as saying, okay, only Christ will fulfill this topic. But there, there are other shades in the middle, like an example, well, an example could be leadership. Okay, let's take topic is leadership. So an easy one would be Jesus is the obvious example of a servant leader. So that's how one way we can take a topic to Christ. But another one could be, well, what makes a gifted leader? Usually bad leaders are insecure. They're proud but insecure. So what makes a gifted leader is someone who's humble and secure, but how can I humble and secure? Well, if I find my security in Christ, then mm-hmm. I can be a humble, secure leader. So show how Christ fulfills what I need to be to to fulfill this topic. So there, there are two examples off the top of my head. No, good examples, helpful. So, um, so then, then for me, if I'm regularly teaching and preaching topically. I'm going to make sure that I'm eventually pointing to Christ. That's part of what the emphasis that's also there. What other cautions would you have? Because let's say most of our audience is is preaching topically. What other cautions would you have to them, knowing you wrote a book positively inclined towards it? What other cautions would you give? I think just, um, I think, again, what you said, the, the hobby horses being very skewed in our interpretation of a particular topic so scan the international community and see what other international Christians are saying about this topic. So am I giving a very skewed interpretation? So that's the first caution. I think the second caution, and this is more a personal thing rather than an absolute caution. As Christians, we've often been taught how to react against a topic, like show why this topic is wrong, how it, we need to get rid of it and replace it with Christ. So I'll give you an exi- easy example. And this is, and let's say the topic of work. So it used to be like, if you preached on work, your the, the danger, not a danger, but the caution would be, all we would say is work is meaningless. It's a waste of time. We're going to die anyway. Whatever we work for will disappear. You should be a Christian. So just give your money to missions and tell your neighbor about Jesus. So what we did there was we worked against the topic and we replaced the topic with Christ. You should have Christ instead. If you're serious about following Jesus, you don't need to work at all. But instead we can work with the topic. Okay, how can I be a Christian at work from Monday to Friday? How can I be Jesus to those around me? So I think the Bigger challenge is how to work with the topic rather than against the topic. 
how to work with the topic rather than against it. Okay. So um, you are, I, I think, I mean, I, we had you speak at the Amplify Conference, wrote a book on this. You're seen as an effective and dynamic communicator. Is is there, um, are, are there like intentional ways you built your communication skill that you might be able to encourage our listeners to build in their own lives and their own speaking ability? Wow. I th- oh, so many ways, but I, I, even as a little kid, when I was sitting in church, when there was a gifted preacher, I'd be sort of thinking, okay, why is this person so good? What are they doing to make them so good? So I'm often doing this. So I think for me, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, for me, it's stand-up comedy because I, okay. I, there's, you're, there's you're, not, like, you're actually not the first person to mention that in this series, which is interesting to me. Okay. Yeah. There are only three forms of communication where a speaker will monologue for more than 10 minutes to a captive audience. So one is obviously your TED speakers. Two is your Christian speaking in a church setting. But three, it's stand-up comedians. So I'm often watching stand-up comedians think, okay, what are they doing to make this work, to hold my attention? And again, there's more than one way to paint a sunset. I've noticed 10 different comedians will have 10 different ways. So Malcolm Gill and I actually signed up a stand-up comedy course about three years ago. And it was at least a six-week course. And really? afterwards, we had to perform. I've even done an open, have I, I, no, not an open mic, but I was, I did one comedy act before COVID came. And I was, uh, what are they, the, the, the guy who comes on before the main act. The MC, I, I guess. Yeah, the MC. Yeah. But you know, the people who, um, the people who would like your preaching, I mean, you're like, you know, you're, you know, DA Carson is on some of your books and stuff like that. They are not the people who are going to affirm or approve of you comparing this to comedy club preparation. So why uh, Carson wrote the forward to your book, uh, Evangelism in a Skeptical World. So 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 how do you kind of put these things together? Because there's almost a world that says just uh, and Carson wouldn't be this way. But I mean, some people would just say, just do a running commentary on the on the Bible don't think of how to communicate it with excellence or humor or else may be versus you literally were doing comedy club stuff. How do you reconcile those? And why do those, why are those tools that you want to use? That's right. So the, I think the reason why we might react is we're saying, are you saying preaching is stand up comedy? I'm saying, no, preaching is not stand up comedy, but it is a form of oral communication. Okay. So we have to communicate orally to use the example of Timothy Keller. He says, you know, when Elijah built the altar, God sent the fire. Elijah couldn't send the fire on Mount Carmel, but yes, he still had to build the altar. And when God parted the Red Sea, you know, with, with Moses, he asked Moses to lift his hands in the air and God sent a wind. So somehow God uses our natural mundane human means to perform his supernatural actions. So I've often wondered if Moses put his hands down with a sea have come together again because he asked Moses to put his hands in the air to part the Red Sea and Elijah had to build the altar with the stones. And so we have to play our part. So God, yes, communicates supernaturally with his divine word, but in his sovereign will has decided he wants to do it through our natural mundane human means, which means it has to come through human oral rhetoric has to come through our personalities and our stories. And so what's fascinating is when you read the New Testament, you have Matthew, you have John, you have Paul, you have James, you have the writer of the Hebrews. They're all writing about Jesus, and yet they do it in completely different ways through different 
personalities, through different wording, through different metaphors. It's the same with us. When we preach, God, God wants us, or what he's asking us to use our natural mundane human means, our stories, our experiences, our, our rhetoric. Fascinating. Great. Okay, last word from, from you, Sam. Share. I have you mentioned that you're like a medical doctor. Or you're you're just a fascinating mix of all these things. And you've engaged in a lot of these different spaces that I think have helped shape you as the dynamic communicator you are. Um, some people might say, you know, I don't I don't have the the rhetorical gifting that Sam has. Uh, what advice would you give to really everybody listening? What advice would you give to them about how to improve? And I'm specifically going to go in the lane where your book is. Again, the book is, is, called, is called Topical Preaching. Uh, but what advice would you give in this lane for people to really excel? Last words from you. Yeah, so it's a, it's a problem both for expository and topical preaching. You know, they're gifted guys out there. How can I lift my game? I think when we go to a dinner party, there's this game where someone tells a story not a game, but it's the convention. Someone tells a story and they go for about two minutes. And then someone go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they tell a story and it goes for about two minutes. And someone go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they tell a story and it goes for two minutes. So somehow we all know how to speak in two-minute modules. Mm-hmm. But, so when we preach, the thing, okay, how can I talk in two-minute modules as if I was at a dinner party? Fascinating. Uh, Sam Chan, thanks for taking the time. Fascinating conversation. Again, the book, I want to encourage you to pick up the book is Topical Preaching in a Complex World, uh, How to Proclaim Truth and Relevance at the Same Time. Sam wrote it with Malcolm Gill as well. Thanks for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. You've been hearing from Dr. Sam Chan. You can learn more about him at EspressoTheology.com. Thanks again for listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments to leave us a review that'll help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.